When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 15 and episode 118. Well, just ahead, are consumers really stressed out about a debt crunch? Does the media have it wrong? We're going to listen to some media commentary and compare it to J.P. Morgan's results. And a timber company shows us how not to make an exit from a bad business deal. And IDT finds telecommunications gold dealing with customers other companies just don't understand. My conversation with IDT's CEO, Shmuel Jonas, from the LD Microconference. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your favorite smart speaker or your least favorite smart speaker. But just tell that smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast and listen to our latest show. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the Drill Down. We will explain the business stories behind a handful of stocks and a move. Drill Down and yet another stock. First, joining me, as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important stories in the world of business today? Uh, Corey, Americans stepped up their spending in September. The Commerce Department says sales at retail stores, restaurants, and online sellers rose a seasonally adjusted 0.7% in September from the previous month. The rise in sales reflects persistently strong demand and higher consumer prices. The retail sales, which aren't adjusted for inflation, rose 13.9% in September from a year earlier. Consumer inflation increased 5.4% that same time, according to the Labor Department. Strong as we start to approach holiday season, um, being lying, a story we're going to talk about in a little bit about... Uh, what people are saying in polling results might be different than what the actual spending numbers reflect. Also, Bitcoin hitting 60000 for the first time since April. That's as traders anticipate U.S. regulators will approve the first exchange-traded fund to track the cryptocurrency. Approval of an ETF that will buy Bitcoin futures contracts, though not the coins themselves, would increase the cryptocurrency's legitimacy and make it easier for institutional investors to get exposure Four applications for Bitcoin futures ETFs are pending approval from the SEC. And this week, a tweet from an SEC Twitter sub-account was seen as hinting at an approval. Uh, much speculation there. And, you know, we don't typically report on price movements as a business development. But the approval of an ETF for cryptocurrency um, uh, of any kind, Bitcoin even, um, is, is a sea change for what it means for all the companies that want to use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to actually do something 
with them. Uh, the speculation in prices around Ether as well and around ETH suggests that uh, that one, uh, the speculation at least, that one could be next. And indeed, the regulatory environment, the SEC has um, expanded Bitcoin, has only been equally expanded uh, to Ethereum. And finally, Goldman Sachs is reporting a 60% jump in profit and a 26% increase in revenue. Goldman's investment bankers brought in $3.7 billion in fees, the second best quarter on record and 88% higher than a year ago. They earned $1.65 billion just from advising on mergers and acquisitions, a quarterly record and more than triple the year ago results. Goldman CEO David Solomon said on a call with analysts today that he believes the pandemic's worst effects on the global economy are likely over, but that some risks do remain. For example, Congress is heading toward another debt ceiling standoff and deadlocked over infrastructure proposals. Also, there's inflation, the Delta variant, and challenges facing the U.S.-China relationship. But these are great results from Goldman. Yeah, I, I thought the M&A business in particular obviously is so interesting. I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend last summer uh, when I ran into him kind of end of the summer, mid-summer, and said, you know, what's what's this pandemic been like? He's an investment banker with another firm. And I said, what's it like? And he looked at me and said, Corey, this has been the best year ever. The idea that 2021 would be even better, more deals, all these SPACs, all these mergers, all these private companies going out. Um, big year for all the bankers out there. Corey, what stocks are drilling down on today? Let's start with a small one, J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase, I believe I've heard of it. Trades under JPM. Shares rose slightly today, and they've gained 63% in a year. What's going on with J.P. Morgan Chase? Well, you know, I heard a story early in the week on NPR, um, and it just, it struck, it's just, it's been bothering me. Um, I listened to the Up First podcast, which I like quite a bit. Um, and I, but the story, I just didn't get it. And it seemed so different. And as I was reading the Goldman results today and thinking about it, I started reading some of the other banking results uh, and thinking about those. This, this story at NPR on Tuesday was based on a poll that NPR did, along with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard, and it asked Americans about sort of what they were stressed out about, what they thought about their financial situation. And it painted this picture of a really a grim picture about the financial health of, health of Americans. It said they were stressed, said they were broke, it said that their, their credit was in really bad shape. It said they were scared of physical violence. They were unable to pay their rent. And I listened to it and thought, well, that is just not what we're hearing from all the businesses we talked to in the drill down. That's not what we're hearing about credit card debt. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. I, am I getting this stuff wrong? So I, you know, I went back and listened to the story again on NPR. I went back and listened to some of the bank conference calls. That's why I want to look at JP Morgan because JP Morgan Chase is the second largest issuer of credit card debt in the U.S. behind Citibank. And what I thought, you know, when I got to the end of this, I thought, you know, the, the poll is really about feelings rather than data. And it, like I said, it had a very different picture of what I've been reading the financial data. Here's a snippet from that NPR reporter, Selena Simmons Duffin. In so many ways, Americans are behind on rent, on their credit cards, kids have fallen behind in school, patients haven't been able to get health care. In the poll, 38% of households had serious financial problems in the last few months. And for households making under $50,000 a year, roughly 60% had serious problems. So, like I said, we don't see that in any of the results from any of the companies we talked to. Am I, am I right? I mean, Isaac, we when was this report broadcast? This, this, this week. Oh, that's from this week. Tuesday. 
So I went and looked at the J.P. Morgan call. Now, banks, of course, look at credit card debt differently. They think credit card debt is a good thing, uh, particularly revolving debt. They sometimes call it revolve, right? They want people to keep a balance on their cards. Um, they like to see that. That's a, to them a sign of a healthy business for them. Uh, J.P. Morgan um, said, you know, credit card debt customers, they, they have this opportunity to see credit card debts of the customers with cash on deposit. They can look at the deposit accounts. They can look at the credit card accounts and say, are they using the credit, the deposit accounts to pay off the credit cards? And they're still seeing that. It's the exact opposite of what this, this soft pole said of, uh, of, of, of people's debt situation. In fact, what JP Morgan sees is that people have a lot of cash in their accounts and they're paying down their credit card debt. And then over time that might change, but they're kind of saying it's going to be next year, maybe later. Here's a CFO, Jeremy Barnum. When we look inside the data and we look at the customers who have both deposit accounts with us and our card customers, and, and we look at those who would typically be the ones that are most inclined to revolve, we actually do see slightly faster, um, you know, spend down of the excess deposit balances there. So that makes us relatively optimistic about both the potential for card outstandings to grow with higher spend, but also for increased revolve and lower pay rates as we go into next year. It's going to take time, obviously, um, but that is the core view. So, uh, you know, what do we make of this? Look, one of the things I always hated doing, Isaac, when I was a TV reporter was having to go do the MOS, the man of the street interviews. Go ask these people what they think. I'm like, aren't I supposed to do the research and find out what's happening instead of ask people what they think is happening? Like, isn't my job not to interview people who don't know about a subject and ask what they think? Hey, what do you, do you think vaccines work? Well, oh wait, so what? Hey, are you really in debt? Yeah, I'm, oh my God, I'm so in debt. Are, are you really? What do the numbers look like? Well, it, it's less. So I don't. So J.P. Morgan, lots of other companies telling us that people have actually substantial deposits. Um, even people, poorer people, are doing better than they were, uh, probably because of a lot of the stimulus, and that credit card balances are in fact lower than they have been uh, for a very long time. Um, that those those are the true facts, not the feelings from a squishy poll. Feelings matter, though, Corey. Do they? Yeah, feelings lead to spending purchase. You know, spending habits. If you don't feel okay, confident, then maybe you're not going to spend that money that you actually have. Okay, again, that's that's not what, what what story did you lead with today, right? Retail sales up yeah. up point seven percent, strong sales, strong demand. This, 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 these feelings don't matter. These feelings are where the story about feelings really missed the data. It should have at least said credit card numbers are uh, credit card debt is lower, despite what our poll says. Uh, I, it struck me as a the wrong note have benefited from some better business journalism. Well, that business journalism was on NPR, to be fair. So consider the source. Hey, don't bash the liberals. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's move on to uh, an interesting uh, company, Duck Creek Technologies. Duck Creek Technologies trades under DCT. Shares fell 24% today. And they've lost 18% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Duck Creek? Yeah, you thought software as a service was supposed to be a hot, growing sector. Uh, not uh, when it's not growing so hot. Right. Uh, Duck Creek is a spinoff of Accenture, who's thought to be some experienced, polished hands with a software as a service for the insurance industry. Um, they came out with results today that showed some growth, to be sure. 
but maybe not uh, what uh, one might expect from a business that supposedly was well matured, even though it was a recent spinoff. Um, revenue is up 21% year over year. License revenue uh, up 6%. Service revenue 16%. So, you know, 6% increase in, in license revenue. Not Again, not a third, subscription revenue, of course, is a big business with a SaaS business up 35%. Great. But uh, guidance not super strong for this company. Uh, and indeed, they kind of backed off of uh, things that they said that they knew how to do, not least of which was selling to tier one accounts. CFO, in fact, uh, Vince Chapari announced that he's leaving the company. Never a great sign. There's lots of reasons they might leave, but never a great sign. But those tier run accounts not coming together the way the company thought. I thought this company knew how to do things. That 24% drop in the stock today suggests that they're still learning. Mike Jakowski, the CEO, says, yeah, there's still advancing discussions on tier one accounts, but it turns out they're complicated. We're advancing discussions with several tier ones on, on different fronts. But what we also find is there's a lot more complexity in decision-making um, in these accounts. You know, there's a lot of budget allocation cycles. They quite often have to go through a very laborious uh, governance uh, decision-making process, um, which is quite different than when you're working with a very small, you know, tier four carrier where the executive team comes together quite readily uh, they know that they have the budget. So, you know, for some of our planning, you know, we've made some assumptions and we've looked at some of these deals that we thought were imminent. And you can see sometimes timing becomes very difficult to predict. Um, so it just led us to be a bit more conservative in terms of how do we layer in those deals, not in terms of getting done within the fiscal year, but how we layer them in and how they contribute to revenue in the same fiscal year. So we just erred a little bit more on the conservative side of that. So that that just sounds to me like excuses. That's just me talking, but it sounds like excuses about they didn't know how their customers work, and that's why their guidance is what it, what it might have been. I, I definitely didn't hear any confidence right there. Corey, what's your next drill down? I've never looked at this company until recently. A fascinating one in Catchmark Timber Trust. Catchmark Timber Trust trades under CTT. Shares fell 22% today, but they've gained 8% in a year. Much lower than the broader market. Yeah, and it, and uh, you know, 22% fall today is a big deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the reason the stock fell is because they announced uh, they were finally finally getting out of a really bad business deal they were in. So this, it, it was pretty interesting from an accounting standpoint. They had made an investment in a, a thing called the Texmark Timber Treasury, Triple T. And the Triple T deal was a bunch of um, uh, pine uh, forest in uh, Texas that they were a subordinate partner to. So there were a lot of investors in this thing. The other investors got some great economics for it. These guys would get some economics from these trees when they were uh, taken down and sold for lumber, but it would take a while. And because of the counting around the, the falling book value of the asset, it would show up as an EBITDA loss for Catchmark Timber, but they could still make some money on this thing over time, and they were. But the problem was that the EBITDA losses persisted even as the cash flow would come in, they would have to mark down the value of the asset more than the cash flow was coming in. And it just wasn't getting any better. 
Lumber prices, of course, Isaac, have gone or you know, went straight up and then went even further down over the course of the last year, which didn't help these guys at all. As Triple T had some trees maturing in the next few years, they didn't really know where lumber prices would be at that point. So they're out of the deal. They're, they're getting $35 million in cash. They're getting $5 million in a services fee to provide some asset management services for the joint venture through the end of the first quarter next year. They got those fees as soon as this deal closed. So basically for $40 million, they are out um, of this deal, and they're cutting their, their dividend nearly in half. Of course, when that happens, dividend investors run for the hills. Uh, they might be East Texas hills, Isaac, or I don't know, other hills, hard to say. But either way, they headed for the hills. And CEO Brian Davis of uh, Catchmark Timber Trust was asked some pretty tough questions in a conference call, an emergency conference call this morning about this uh, this deal and getting out of this deal. And he basically said, look, this thing, we're just not making money on this thing. We're junior. We're, because we're subordinate to all the other investors, we didn't know when we were going to get paid for this thing. We put too much money into it. And we decided to cut bait and get out. Here he is talking about how to make that tough decision about when to get out of a bad deal. Here's CEO Brian Davis. Yeah, we really wish for a better outcome. But you have to remember the asymmetric risk associated with the investment in the capital structure. We are in a subordinated position in time relative to the cost of capital and per acre exit values were important considerations. Just to put a number around that, the cost of that uh, preferred capital in front of us was running around 10 to $11 million per month. And so we balanced the certainty of an exit price and the certainty of timing versus the uncertainty. And when, when you think about the opposite side of the coin, you're really talking about what is my per acre price growth to achieve the burn rate associated with 10 to, mil, 10 to $11 million per month? And also you have execution risk from the standpoint, we believe that there would be multiple closings associated with that. And so you really had this very short runway relative to an outcome. And when we did the calculus and the math, it really talked about, we wish we could have done better. The structure uh, created some impediments. Yeah, the impediments being they didn't know <laughs> how bad this deal was going to be. And it was costing them 10 to $15 million uh, over and over and over again. And then just decided to cut bait and get out. Cut your losses. So there we have it. Caremark Timber Trust. You're proud of me for not making any jokes like a long, slow timber. I didn't do that. <sighs> All right, coming up next, really interesting company. Uh, a company that's been super interesting for decades. Shmuel Jonas, the CEO of IDT Corporation, joins us to talk about how the company's focus on a certain kind of customer, maybe not you know, immigrants and customers, other um, telecommunications companies aren't wholly focused on, how that focus on that market has led to a big growing business and lots of different types of businesses. IDT has successfully spun off. We'll have that story, but first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more. Build, ad build agile tech teams faster at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. We are back with the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by the CEO of IDT. Uh, Shmuel Jones joins us right now. Uh, Shmuel Jones is uh, uh, with your father you started the company? Or he well, started I, the company? he started the company. Yes. Uh, Howard, uh, and uh, it's it's been an interesting business to watch 
from my perspective, I've followed it super close, but I've interviewed you in the past in a prior life. And um, the business has changed a lot as it's been publicly traded for, I don't know, 30 years? Uh, I think 1996. Yeah, I kind of remember. And, and you've got a couple of different businesses under the hood there that are run as distinct businesses, yes? Yeah, we have we have a couple of businesses that are run as distinct businesses currently, and we have a bunch of companies that we've spun off over the years that are run as independent public companies. And I think that when people look at the results of the company, they don't understand it because they see revenue growth isn't there because you've, you've, you've basically pushed the birds out of the nest and those companies have done fine. But the cumulative, if you were to add up, if the companies were still under one roof, you'd see this, this different kind of growth pattern over time. That's for sure. Um, so what is IDT Corporation? What do you what do you guys what do you sell? What do we sell? Um, you know we're, we still sell a lot of uh, telecommunications products. Um, you know retail long distance is still a you know large business for us. Wholesale long distance is still a large business for us. Um, but you know our, our growing businesses are really business communications. You know UCAS, um, fintech. We do point of sale systems for small independent retailers. Um, we do value transfer, which we call top up. Um, so you can, you know, put money onto your mother's phone in Mexico or send a gift card for Electra, um, anything like that. Um, we also, you know, do regular money transfer. So if you want to, you know, send money from here to Guatemala, you know, I think we have the best price, but you can go into our app and check because uh, we, we, we shop all the other apps and that way you can see how much it costs with us. Those are all such different businesses. How do you decide what businesses to get into? I mean, I can see the relationship between some, but... You know, remittance is a whole different business than selling long distance, no? It is, but I mean, you know, again, I think that we're very focused on consumers and, you know, our consumers, you know, call home, they send money home, they, you know, I think immigrants are the hardest working people, you know, that we have and we're lucky to have them in our country. And, um, you know, and they require, you know, all, all the types of services that IDT provides, um, both from, you know, money transfer to top up to, paying for, you know, your gas in, in a foreign country to calling home. And do you, is we, this, we do all of that. Are the new businesses somewhat anecdotal when you get into them? Or are you, are you doing real studies on here is our consumer type? Here is the demographics. Let's do studies of those consumers. I mean, listen, we have a great, you know, data analytics team, um, you know, that works for us and, and really does run the numbers on everything. But um, no, I can't say that, you know, we're, 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 we're from a 50,000 foot view making um, decisions, you know, just based on data. You know, some of it is just good gut instincts of what, you know, consumers are going to want next. So let's, let's break down some of these businesses. So I remember net to phone, there was a moment in time in, you know, in the night, late 90s when that was the hottest thing possible. Yeah. I think there were some journalists that went to run that and all the other journalists were sitting around looking saying, wait a minute, that guy just made a lot of money. What is that business now? And you're talking about spinning that off. Yes. So, um, you know, we, we, we spun it off once before. Uh, we IPO'd it and then spun it off. Yeah. And, and we sold it to AT&T for um, over a billion dollars. Uh, and then we bought it back for $26 million. So Which is um, less. Which is a little less. It just suggests that you sold yeah. it at a good time. Yeah, we sold it at a good time. You know, And we think we bought it at a good time, too. Um, but, uh, you know, today it, it mostly provides business phone services. Um you know, it's it's growing really rapidly, um, both domestically as well. So these as, are these are desk phones for businesses that work in IP, as yeah, opposed I mean, to hardwired copper lines in an office or something. Yeah, that's that's mostly true. Although, I mean, you know, desk phones is is a, is only a, you know a small part of the business. A lot of it is soft phones or 
you know, on your computer, apps on your, um, or apps on your, on your mobile phone. Um, but you know, it's, it's all of the technology behind, you know, what's facing the, 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 the business user, which is, you know, making sure that when your customer is trying to reach you, you know, they can reach you. And when they're, you're not available, you know, you're, they're given a good reason why and that they'll be gotten back to. And, and we really, you know, solve those types of problems. So that business uh, has, looks like it's been growing really fast. It has been growing very fast. And that number is? Uh, I think we grew 46% yeah. year over year. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really going to grow a lot more. And so why spin that off now? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, Thank you, you know, that's my job. <laughs> um, I, listen, I'm a big believer in you have to do what you say. Um, and, you know, we, we told our investors that we are going to spin it off. Um, and even though I think that it will continue to grow rapidly inside of IDT, it's now going to have to grow uh, rapidly outside of IDT. Um, and yeah, that is the main reason we're spinning it off when we're spinning it off. And what's the timing of that deal right now? We're hoping to, to spin it out during the first quarter. We think it's very likely. And what, what do the revenues for that unit trailing 12 months? Uh, about 47 million. Fantastic. Growing at 46%. Yeah. To what do you, do you attribute that growth? Um, Outside of brilliant management, obviously. Oh, of course, of course, the brilliant <laughs> management, um, which, which is not me just for the record. Um, you know, I, I think that we really focus on small and medium-sized businesses and we focus on the channel and we focus on making sure that, you know, our product works, you know, 100% of the time. You know, our uptime is really, you know, it, we, we never go down. That's, that's really the reality. And that's what matters, you know, when, when you're dealing with reliability, you know, both in terms of the ability to get us on the phone and solve issues when you have them and, you know, that the product always works. And, uh, you know, that is what we pride ourselves on. And, and that's what's really been the key to the success. And, and also that we focus on the channel. Um, you know, we're, we're not competing with them. Um, you know, we are working with them. And who, who are the channel resellers in? We have lots of them. Um, you know, we have over 5,000 channel sales uh, partners that, that work with Netophone today. And, and so right, let's, let's switch to one of the other ones, NRS. Yeah. Describe that business to me. NRS is an amazing business. Um, you know, it's, it's really the, you know, what I'll call the heart of, of small businesses. Um, it, it gives them, you know, the ability to really compete with major retailers, um, which they never had before. Um, so everything from inventory systems to, uh, how they should be pricing products to, um, to giving them the ability to have loyalty, uh, programs for their customers to giving customers the ability to order, you know, through an app, pay through an app. Um, and that business really took off during COVID. It did take uh, off during as, COVID. as well as it might have been doing beforehand. COVID was a, we, we have a drinking game here where now that we're all in person for the first time ever, Isaac and Ben and I. We're, the drinking you might have to get real, but whenever someone says digital transformation, someone has to do a shot. Oh my God. So please don't say it. Where's the bottle? It's no, early. It's early this morning. Um, but, um, you know, uh, the, the digital transformation we saw from so many um, uh, companies uh, during COVID, as much as they might have acknowledged the existence of mobile and the internet, having to be in e-commerce in different ways was uh, revolutionary for a lot of companies and there's no going back. I agree with that. I mean, that, that is for sure. Um, and, and again, I don't want to make a drink so early in the morning, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything that I shouldn't. But um, I mean, again, you know, what really makes NRS, you know, special is 
that it's really helping the, these stores. You know, I mean, yes, it's it's a, a very, you know, big financial success, you know, for, for IDT. You know, we do $160, you know, per store on average a month, you know, but by, you know, by selling in our, you know, terminal to, to, to a store um, and it's growing. But that's not, you know, what makes it a great product. What makes it a great product is that, you know, the stores depend on it. Like if, 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 your, if your POS system isn't working, it's even worse than your phone system not working, yeah. you know, and, and we really give them, you know, an amazing product for an amazing price. And we're, you know, we are literally like keeping thousands of, of stores in business, you know, by them having and better name technology. Any hmm? Name any customers? No, that's the, that's the remarkable thing about NRS. Like we are not focused on the names, you know, um, you know, I mean, yes, I can name, we have 14,000 independent convenience stores that, that use our product. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can look up on our app, you know, in this neighborhood one, but I mean, one of my favorites is a, a store called Betsy's in, uh, you know, in, in New Jersey where, where I'm from. And, you know, again, we've, you know, what do they sell at Betsy's? It's a convenience store. It's a convenience store. Uh, you know, all the, all the types of items you generally find in a convenience store. They also have a, you know, a, a sandwich shop in the back. You know, I keep kosher. So, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, I've never had a sandwich from it, but uh, it does look really good. I can tell you that much. No, no ham and cheese in no your near future. <laughs> no. You don't know what you're missing. Um, so, I, uh, so it's interesting because I, I, I think that, that we have so many businesses that, you know, so many companies, CEOs come on our show and they talk about logos. And they talk about adding logos. And this this quarter, we we added fourteen logos. We've got four hundred and thirty eight logos of the Fortune five hundred. And you know, and it, and there's so much business. Most of business is not at those big companies. Right. Yeah. I know. I mean, we we are different. Um, you know, we we add you know over a thousand locations every quarter. But they're you know they're all your you know local stores that uh, you know don't get the 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 recognition and the love that some of those big brands that you you know or logos that you refer to get. And, you know, we, we help them compete with the logos. So let's talk finally about the remittance business. Um, what you may not know is that since we last talked when I was working at Bloomberg, I left to go to work at a company called Ripple, a cryptocurrency company that is very focused on the remittance business. So I spent a, a year or so really looking at that business and how it worked. It's fascinating. It's disparate. There are a gazillion remittance companies and you can't, Americans have no idea how important remittance is to the rest of the world and the people in the rest of the world. I, you know, I've got a buddy of mine in Singapore. He's from Palo Alto, California, but he lives in Singapore. And he's like, I've got, you know, my favorite remittance guy is, you know, money transfer guy is next to my kid's barber shop. But there's another guy I really like because like, he, tra he work, travels through Asia for work. And, and that's, it's his life is, is changing money all the time and moving money from country to country. Um, what's technologically, I'm very interested in that because of at Ripple, they're trying to use a cryptocurrency called XRP to move money across borders. Again, I'm totally biased because before I spent that year, but what's that business like for you right now? It does seem that it really is in the dark ages for most companies. Yeah. I mean, well, just for full disclosure, I mean, we have done, you know, work with Ripple um, and we've done, you know, work with Stellar and, and a bunch of other, you know, um, I'll call them uh, blockchain technologies yeah. for money transfer. But, you know, today we do most of our, business in, in traditional um, money transfer, Channels. which is, yeah, I mean, you know, a person shows up to the store, you know, with a couple hundred dollars in cash and wants to send it home, you know, so his, you know, kids can go to school or so that his, you know, family can have food to eat. And, you know, we really facilitate that. Um, and, and we do that both online through, you know, our app or through our websites or, or you know, again, in cash, you know, in, in, a, in a store in your neighborhood. Um, and, 
you know, I do believe that, you know, the world of money transfer is going to change, um, you know, and it's, and it's a question of, you know, when, you know, WhatsApp, you know, adds, you know, the ability to transfer money, you know, from, from one person to another, not, you know, not if, um, and I do think that the, the way people will make money on money transfer is going to change. You know, I mean, today, you know, it's standard for, you know, a person to go into a store and pay $10 you know, to, to transfer money and then to also, you to know, have $300, some, to and, $300. And that's a, 300 basis points is an enormous amount to pay. Yeah. And, and on top of that, they're making money on, you know, basis points to be clear. I can do math. Right. And, <laughs> and, and on top of that, you know, you're making money on, you know, foreign exchange and, you know, that could be 3% sometimes depending yeah. on, you know, where, um, you know, you're sending that money and how no, much. We heard stories. If you're moving money from Turkey to Holland, in, in both in the EU, you can pay 1,200 basis points and wait three days for that to go through. I, I believe it. Um, you know, and again, we, we're, we're also moving into, you know, other markets outside of the U.S. Right now, we're only, you know, U.S. to mostly Central America and Africa. Um, but, you know, we're, we're launching Canada and the U.K. this year as well. Um, Interesting. And Less profits to be had there. Well, we shall see. But more people. <laughs> uh, you know, we think we can do both. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty efficient. Um, and you know, we, we, we do know those markets well, we've had, we've had, uh, you know, offices there for quite some time. Interesting. So, so why not stick with, you know, Ripple or Stellar, God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. Um, you know, there's not a lot of love, I think, between the Ripple and Stellar people, Stellar, oh, you know, yeah, but in any case, that's, for sure. that's a whole different story. Right. Um, Again, you know, I mean, you, you always have to deal with the here and now and, and the future. I mean, you know, it's like if you're, you know, if your roof is leaking, you have to call a roofer to fix your roof, even if you really want the new Tesla roof, like, you know, because it just doesn't really exist. Um, you know, and, and that's the same thing with, you know, money transfer. You know, there's the here and now today where people need to transfer money and we give them all the traditional, you know, ways of doing it. But, you know, we are also, you know, looking at creating, you know, you know, wallets where you'll be able to transfer money for free. And then we'll make money when you spend the money, you know, in foreign countries. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. Um, a different approach. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see you. Uh, thanks for coming by. Glad to see you in person. How nice doing a show with in person with living Very humans. cool. Yeah. We're actually across the table from it's each like other. It's like 2019 again. Oh, my God. Or 2021 now. <laughs> I think what 2022 uh, will bring. Oh, God. We can all, I'm crossing myself right now. Uh, Shmuel Jonas, thank you very much. The CEO of IDT. Well, when we return... We will have that drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about IDT. It's an interesting one. Stay tuned. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And we hope you listen to the drill down podcast every day, a task made easier. You use your smart speaker, just ask that smart speaker. Hey, smart speaker, or you know, whatever you call it. Play the Drill Down podcast, and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, the CEO of IDT, estimates this number, that the companies that they've sold in the last nine years are doing about 700 million in revenues right now. So if you look at the long-term revenue chart, there's your number, 700 million. 700 million in revenues of, of this company's essentially sold off and spun off. Um, and uh, you know that when you look at the long-term history of this company, you just don't see that, uh, that kind of the growth that would otherwise be shown because of all the businesses they have shed 
over the years. The company, by by point of comparison, did about a, a billion five in the last year. So it would be about 50% larger had it not been for those spinoffs. Wow. That's significant. All right, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast uh, here live from the LD Micro Conference in Los Angeles. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster sitting across from me, thankfully. He is our executive editor and our editor extraordinaire. What did I say? Executive editor? Yeah. Didn't, didn't, different title, executive producer. Our editor extraordinaire sitting to my right with the peg leg and the hook and the parrot. It's Ben Wilson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.